chapter 2. If you forgot your Bible or don't have a Bible, always feel free to grab one on the way in, out in the lobby or back by the offering uh, box. We understand that uh, many of you have uh, arms full of uh, kids and other things, and you might uh, not be able to grab a Bible, so we have them here for you. But Hebrews chapter 2, as we're just continuing to go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. Now, one of the great things about getting away uh, was that I got to do one of my favorite things that there is to do. Uh, And I got to just sit and look at the ocean and just stare into the vastness and the greatness of the ocean. I I know everyone on vacations, you probably have different things you like to do, whether it's, you know, some people really like to have lots of planned activities. Some people really like to go to the mountains. Some people like to hike a trail. Some people like all these. I don't like any of that. I just want to sit on the beach and just stare at the ocean. Just stare at the ocean. And, and for those of you guys that maybe don't remember, maybe it's been a little while since you've been there, okay, the ocean is really, really big, okay? Just in case you forgot, it's really big. And the reason that I like to sit in front of the ocean, and the, real, the, the reason that I think it's so good for my soul is that it's the greatness of God's creation that really helps put me in my place. Uh, it's, it's a humbling thing to sit at the edge of the ocean, right? It's a, it's a humbling thing to sit in, in the vastness and the greatness of God's creation, whether it be looking up out at the night sky and looking at the stars, or whether it be sitting at the bottom of a mountain range and just staring out at the mountains. It's a humbling thing, and it really helps us put things into perspective a bit to see the greatness of creation, And then to think about the majesty of the one who created that creation. It's a humbling thing. It puts us in our place. And it's so important for us to have some things like that, that can put us in our place, so to speak. Because humanity, mankind, we often are confused as to what our proper place in creation is supposed to be. We often get confused, right? If we are not humbled and restored through faith in Christ, we'll likely view ourselves wrongly. We'll likely view ourselves as one or, in one or two ways. One, we'll either view ourselves as gods, like we are the gods of our little universe, and everything should revolve around us and center on us, and we will use and abuse God's creation in order to obtain power and control and influence and glorification of self. All right, that's, that's one false view of ourself that we might have. Or we might swing the pendulum the other direction and think so little of ourselves because maybe of, of some past failures or some past trauma or wounds, we might consider ourselves to be worthless and wonder if the world would even you know, notice if we weren't here. Some even extreme environmentalists have such a low view of humanity that they consider human beings to be the the cancer of the environment and that if we just got rid of humans, creation would once again flourish. But our text this morning is going to show us that, that man is not what he was meant to be and he must be humbled and restored through faith in Christ to take his proper place in God's creation. Okay, so let me say that again. Human beings, men and women, mankind, we are not what we were meant to be, and we must be humbled 
and restored through faith in Christ to take our proper place in creation. Okay? Now, now we Hoosiers, we don't have an ocean to always go to to help put us into our place in this universe, right? Uh, but we do have something better. Uh, because whenever we need to be put into our place, who do we look to? We look to Jesus. We look to the person and work of Jesus. And by looking to the person and work of Jesus, we are both humbled and restored. And the book of Hebrews, all right, we're entering into Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. The book of Hebrews, remember, is really written like a sermon where our author is flipping back and forth from exposition to exhortation, which is really a good model for any preacher, right? First, explain the the text, okay, and then exhort, then strongly encourage people in light of the text. Okay, And so Hebrews is going to go back and forth from exposition to exhortation. And during the exhortations, like Dad preached a couple of weeks ago, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, there's going to be a lot of like really clear application to our lives, right? The, the author is giving us strong warnings in these exhortations that we can directly apply to our lives. But then during these expositions that we're going to cover today, uh, the, the application is sometimes a bit less clear. Uh, I'm still going to try to, my best to connect this to our everyday lives, but think about the expositional part, uh, parts of Hebrews as kind of laying the groundwork for when we get to these exhortations to build upon them. And so to recap a bit, okay, so far in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the author has explained that in, how in times past God had spoken to his people through many different ways, through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son, the last and final word, the eternal second person of the Trinity is the last and final word, who is better and more superior to angels or prophets or any other messenger that God has sent in the past because he himself is God. And then two weeks ago, right, dad preached Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, that first exhortation or warning that therefore, if Jesus is better and more supreme and superior, we must pay closer attention. We must not drift away. We must not neglect this great salvation. And now we enter into verse 5. And the next three weeks, as we go through the rest of chapter 2, we are going to watch our author explain and teach on the greatness of Jesus in regards to the incarnation. The incarnation, that he is our God who put on flesh. He became one of us, fully God, fully man. And as we look to the God-man, Jesus Christ, we will both be humbled and restored through faith in him to our proper place in this created order. And so we don't need an ocean to sit in front of this morning. Uh, We have something better. All right? Uh, Whatever you've looked at or listened to this past week, it's probably gotten things a bit out of whack for you. But this morning we get to come and we get to see Jesus. We get to sit before Jesus and let him put us into our proper place. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God to do that. And then we will jump into Hebrews 2, verse 5. Father God, we do come before you knowing that we are not what we were meant to be. Things are out of whack. Things are not as they should be, Lord. And, and we want and, and, and we long for you to set things right. And so, Father, I ask that you would open up our eyes to be able to see Jesus. 
Help us see him for who he really is. Help us see the significance and the greatness of his work that he performed on our behalf. Help us be able to see that he is now seated on the throne. Father, we ask that you would both humble us and restore us through sitting and beholding Jesus. Lord, we want to see Jesus. Please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews 2, verse 5. Here we go. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Now let's stop there for a second. Remember, when we think of angels, all right, we falsely think of cute little chubby babies with wings. And, uh, and that's not how the original recipients would have thought of angels, okay? The original recipients of Hebrews would have had a really high view of angels, so much so that some were even tempted to worship angels or pray to angels. They had this high view of angels. They also were really well-versed in the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament text better than many of us. And so, therefore, they would have known certain Old Testament texts that, that teach how God had given these angels or heavenly beings, these sons of God, had been given a certain amount of power and authority in the world. They would have known passages like Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9, which we'll have up on the screen. This is from the Song of Moses in regards to the scattering of people at the Tower of Babel. Moses writes, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, these heavenly beings. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. Okay, so this, they would have known passages like this that it, it seems to teach, and certainly many Jewish people believed that in the Old Testament there were certain nations that had these heavenly beings or these lowercase g gods ruling them. But the Lord's portion was Israel, and after scattering humanity at Babel, he set his affection upon Abraham and chose Abraham and his family to then work through that nation to one day bring the nations back to him. And he promised that it would be through Abraham's offspring, which we now know to be Jesus, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so the original recipients would have had this kind of in mind as they come across Hebrews 2, verse 5. They would have been familiar with passages like from Daniel 10, which we won't look at, but it's a pretty, pretty wild passage where there's an angelic messenger coming to Daniel, but he says he's 21 days delayed because he'd been you know, kind of caught up or tied up in a conflict with another heavenly being until Michael the archangel can get there to rescue him and he can get to Daniel. Like, like, what's going on there? <laughs> we're, we're not going to get into all that, but, but the original audience, right, of Hebrews, they would have understood that the people of God were not only up against human rulers and authorities, but they were also up against spiritual rulers and authorities who were resisting God's purposes and God's people. And so the people that were receiving this letter of Hebrews, they would have had a, a, a kind of a, a well-versed knowledge of the Old Testament. They would have had a little bit more of an appreciation for these heavenly beings or these angels than we might at first read and their power and their influence over the nations. But Hebrews 2 verse 5 says, For it was not to them, it was not to angels, that God subjected the world to come 
of which we are speaking. Right? Like God had allowed angels and fallen angels to have some power and influence in the world, not on his same level. But now we see in the new world order and in the new creation that was inaugurated by the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, what we see is that Jesus has now ushered in this world to come, this world that is already here but not yet fully realized. He has ushered in this world to come. And so just even starting to get our mind open to some of this, these, these other heavenly beings, does, doesn't the acknowledgement of them then help, help when we read New Testament texts? It helps them carry a bit more weight. Like when we read from 1 Peter 3.22, when speaking of Jesus, he writes, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Like that carries a bit more weight when we kind of have Deuteronomy and Daniel and some of these other passages in mind that Jesus has gone into heaven. He has ushered in this world to come and now angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. And doesn't being mindful of this then even carry a bit more weight when Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 2 verse 15 and says that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then doesn't the great commission all of a sudden seem a bit greater when we understand that there were rebellious heavenly beings that had some authority over the nations. But then in Matthew 28, after Jesus's resurrection, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he comes to them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Like, yeah, this heavenly prince of Persia and this lowercase g God of the Philistines, they had some authority, they had some influence. But now, because Jesus has ushered in this new world order, all authority in the heavenly realm and in the earthly realm has been given to Jesus. It's all his in heaven and on earth. In the seen and the unseen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. Teach them to observe all that God has commanded you. Church, always remember that you are not just told to go make disciples. You're, you're not. You're, you're not just told to go make disciples. The Great Commission is great because you are told to go, therefore, you are told to therefore go. What's the therefore, therefore, right? Because you are told to go because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. And my prayer is that we would be a church who would frequently and regularly be sending people out to go therefore to go therefore and to plant churches, to go therefore and to disciple the nations. It is my prayer that we would be a church that would be regularly praying over people and sending them out. And that we would be saying, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. Go. 
All authority in heaven and in Mooresville has been given to Jesus, therefore go. All authority in heaven and in Martinsville has been given to Jesus, therefore go. All authority in heaven and at Franklin College has been given to Jesus, therefore go. Therefore go. Cowards which is many of us, if we're honest, cowards will never go disciple the nations if they are just told to go disciple the nations. But if they look to Jesus, the one who all authority has been given to, and they're told to therefore go, you watch their courage be restored. If we want to take our proper place in creation, we need our courage to be restored. The courageous people in church history were not courageous in and of themselves. They were people who could say, yes, but we see Jesus. Therefore, we must go. But here's a question as we kind of go back to the text. Who, who is supposed to rule and reign with Jesus in this world to come if it's not Michael and Gabriel and that whole crew? Well, let, let, let's keep reading, okay? Because I think this might surprise you as we try to consider uh, humanity's proper place in creation. Because yes, mankind is not what we were meant to be, but what were we meant to be? And what destiny has Christ purchased for us? So let's look back at the text. Hebrews 2, verse 6, six excuse me. It has been testified somewhere, and here he goes into a quote from, from Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now let's stop there for a second. A good rule of thumb, anytime you're reading through the New Testament, and it quotes the Old Testament, I'd encourage you to go back and read that Old Testament passage in context. And so that's what we're going to do here, all right? So if you've got a Bible, turn back to Psalm 8. Turn back to Psalm 8. And we're going to read this in context. We'll have Psalm 8 up on the screen as well, but I'd encourage you, if you've, if you've got one in hand, turn back to Psalm 8. And as we go through Psalm 8, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to ask you to read this psalm first without your mind going straight to Jesus. And I realize that's a strange thing for me to say. Uh, don't let your mind so quickly go to Jesus. Uh, but, but hang with me, okay? Don't fire me yet. Uh, we will get to Jesus, I promise. This is fulfilled by Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. But this psalm, in the context that David is writing, is first about humanity. All right, this is about men and women and children. This is about us. This is about mankind. Psalm 8 is initially about humanity. And in order for us to really grow in an understanding and an appreciation of the incarnation of God putting on flesh, we have to first understand who this psalm was initially written about. This was not initially a messianic psalm. This was a psalm about humanity. All right? Uh, now, now, before we jump into Psalm 8, I think we can all agree that humanity is not what it should be. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once wrote, Whatever else is or is not true, this one thing is certain, man is not what he was meant to be. Now, it doesn't take long to look around and realize that this is true. 
Okay, uh, the year 2020 has really done a preacher's, uh, uh, you know, a favor in that we don't really have to convince you that things are not as they should be. That man is not as they, uh, that he should be, right? Just, just watch the, uh, rewatch the, the presidential debate if you're not convinced, right? Yeah, I think even non-Christians can look at that and say, something has gone wrong, right, with humanity. We are not as we should be. So I think we can agree on that, but what do we need? Okay, we're not what we were meant to be. What do we need? Let's look look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 1. He starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. All right, stop there for a second. God here is, is talking about how God uses the weak in the world to establish his strength. Okay, babies and infants are painting us this picture of what is weak in the world. And it is the words and the songs and the worship that comes from the weak that will establish the Lord's strength in the world. Okay, that, that's a bit humbling, okay, because the people of God, we are the babies and infants in this. All right, we are the, the weak ones. But, but, but somehow God uses us to establish his strength. That's a bit humbling. We are compared to babies and infants. Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. All right, so right now, stop. David is looking out at the greatness of the created universe, right? He, he's having his, his oceanside moment, right? And he's humbled by it. He's humbled by the greatness of creation, thinking about the majesty of the one who created it. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Humanity has been made a little lower than the heavenly beings, meaning that because it's, we, have, we have limitations, we have physical bodies, we are living in this earthly realm. And so we've been made a little lower than these angelic beings. However, we've been made way lower than God. Okay, and that's humbling. A little lower than the angels, but way lower than God. However, we'll see that this little lower than the angels is not necessarily our destiny for those who are in Christ. But in order to be restored to our proper place, we first need to be humbled by the greatness of God. That's what we need first. Man is not what he's meant to be. We can probably all agree at that. What do we need first? Man needs to be humbled by the greatness of God. David is humbled when he thinks about the majesty and the greatness of God. And so so here is some application for us, okay? Because of sin, man is not what he was meant to be. What does man need? Man needs to be humbled. Humanity needs to be humbled. In our sin, we've tried to take the place of God in our lives, and yes, in Christ, we will one day be exalted in Christ, but God's ways are always to humble his people first. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When we look to Jesus and see his greatness, we are humbled. We are humbled. We first need to be humbled. We're humbled when we look at his greatness, but we are also humbled to look at his grace. 
Okay, we were humbled when we look at his greatness, and we are humbled when we look at his grace. It's a pretty humbling thing that Jesus had to come and do what we failed to do. He had to come and fulfill what we fell short of as humanity. That, that's a humbling thing. Uh, when, when I first started working uh, as a, as a PA, physician assistant in the ER, this was uh, uh, maybe seven years ago, working in the ER, um, I, I had a patient come in with a dislocated finger, okay? Now, a dislocated finger uh, is a very simple thing to do um, that was very much in, you know, what I should be able to do. You pretty much just pull on the finger, okay? Dislocations always look pretty gnarly because they're always like, you know, like 90 degrees of the wrong way. So everyone kind of freaks out about it. But you just go in and you just pull, right? All right? You, you mainly just pull. Sometimes you got to manipulate a little up and down, but just pull, all right? Most people can do it. It's an, it's an easy thing. It's something I should have been able to do. Uh, but for whatever reason, there was this person that came in and had a dislocated finger. And, uh, and I could not, like I'm pulling, I'm pulling, numbed it up even, pulled it some more, and I could not get it back uh, in place. And so uh, what I did was, you know, it was kind of humbling, had to go and like ask uh, other coworkers, hey, can you come try to, to fix this? And, the, and so other PAs came in, some other nurses tried. I then went to some of the physicians like, hey, I can't get this back in. Can you get this back in? All the people in the ER that I had access to could not get it back in, but I was trying as hard as I could because if we couldn't do it, this is what I had to do. I had to, in the middle of the night, page a specialist and wake them up and ask them to come in to the ER to fix a problem I should be able to fix. That is a bit humbling. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to get everyone else to be able to fix it. No one can. And so I finally have to page the, the hand specialist, wake him up. He drives in the middle of the night. And uh, he's walking in. I'm explaining how, hey, we've all tried this. This is a really tough one. You might need to do surgery. So yada, 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 yada. He walks into the room and with one like flip of his wrist, like boom, back in place. And I'm like, oh. And the funny thing was, he didn't say a word to me. He just pointed at me. And then he walked out of the hospital. <laughs> it was a stare down and it was a point like, I'm going to remember you. And, uh, and then he walked out, right? And I've just humbled, humbled, right? Like it wasn't surgery. It was something I should have been able to do. Uh, years later, we ended up uh, having a fairly good relationship. So it ended okay. But in that moment, I was so humbled calling someone to do something that you have failed to do is a humbling thing. Now, the truth of Christmas, okay, because Christmas is coming up, right? Uh, like, who's excited about Christmas? Yes, yes, yeah, I, I love Christmas. It's October. I think, I think we're good to just kind of shift gears into Christmas mode, all right? Uh, I give you that permission if that's something I'm allowed to do. Uh, but the truth of Christmas, listen, the truth of Christmas is humbling, the truth of Christmas is humbling. The fact that God had to become a man is because we have utterly failed at what we were called to do. That's humbling. But the glorious thing about our great God is, is that he willingly humbled himself. 
and came down for a little while, a little lower than the angels, which was way down for him, but it was a little lower than the angels. He put on flesh. He accepted this limitation of having a physical body. And he set for us an example to follow on the road to future glory and honor and exaltation. He showed us that it's going to take humbling and it's going to take suffering and it's going to take a lot of dying to yourself every day. And so church, in order for us to be restored to who we are meant to be, it's going to take a lot of humbling. And that's a painful process but it's a necessary process. And church, listen, it's not a matter of if you need to be humbled. It is how do you need to be humbled. I'm not asking you, hey, do you think you need to be humbled today? You do. How do you need to be humbled today? Let's ask the Spirit to search our hearts in that. How do I need to be humbled today? How might God need to humble you this morning? What might you need to set before the greatness and the grace of God and allow him to humble you, to put you back into your proper place? It is painful, but it is necessary. If you ever want to become who you were meant to be, it has to start with being humbled. Now look back at Psalm 8, verse 5. He writes, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now remember, we're still talking about humanity here. Crowned with glory and honor. I don't know if I can see that about humanity. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I can see that. Verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. He's talking about humanity. I don't know if I can see that. I don't know if I see that with mankind. Verse 7, all sheep and oxen. I can maybe see that. We're good at that. Uh, And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. Really? The fish of the sea? I don't know. I don't know if I see that. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this psalm kind of simultaneously humbles us But then it also paints like this significant, honorable calling for humanity as well. And it's really a calling that should remind us of the original creation mandate back in Genesis, right? With with God making mankind in his image, and he gives them dominion over the creation, and he tells them to fill the earth and subdue it, and to exercise dominion over all creation. And so that's what we're seeing here, painted all throughout Scripture, starting in Genesis, being sung about by David in the Psalms, being re-reminded of it in Hebrews, that mankind, men and women, we were created by God to be His image bearers. And there's a lot of different definitions you could try to find about what does it mean to be an image bearer, but but this is one that I I think is probably uh, the best, is that being an image bearer, it means to reflect His character to His world, as we act as representative rulers over his creation. Okay, I'll say it again. We are to, as his image bearers, reflect his character to the world as we act as representative rulers over his creation. We were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now let me clarify that for a second. 
Because we are not to subdue it by force, okay? And this is where some people kind of get away from biblical teaching. When they hear, fill the earth and subdue it, they're like, okay, let's get the militia, let's get the guns, let's get the politicians, let's go and let's take this by force. And that is not what God calls us to. He does not call us to this top-down approach where we take by force the, 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 the powers of the world and then it all kind of trickles down. That lacks an understanding of the root problem of mankind. The root problem is sin in the hearts of people. And changing you know, some of these things at the top is not necessarily going to address the root problem. No, subduing the earth and discipling the nations, it should not be undertaken forcibly. It should not be a top-down approach, but it should be uh, taken on humbly and gently and meekly like Jesus from the bottom up. The kingdom of God is very much more like a grassroots movement that starts like a mustard seed and slowly grows. And it will be as more and more individuals of a culture and a society, it'll be as the individuals repent of sin and turn to Christ, that then you will see changes in politics and movies and businesses and schools. So we as his image bearers, we are not to subdue and fill the earth by force, but we are to do it gently and meekly and humbly as Jesus showed an, set an example for us. We are to reflect his character as representative rulers over his creation. But is this what we see humanity doing? Like this is what we are called to? But it, but it doesn't take long to look at our world and realize that something has gone wrong. Humanity is not what it was meant to be. Something has gone wrong. I mean, subdue the earth for the glory of God? All I see is, is Christians and humanity and even some Christians not subduing the earth, but being subdued by the earth. That, that's what it appears like to me. It appears like we're being subdued by the earth, by hurricanes and floods and disease and cancers. Like, and then thinking about ourselves, we can't even subdue or control ourselves. We, we have trouble controlling our thought lives and our emotions and our greed and our appetites. And so right now, the call to reflect his character as representative rulers, it seems like an impossible call. I mean, fill the earth and subdue it? You might be thinking, I, mean, I don't even know how to subdue my kids or my pets or my flower bed, right? Like, that's an impossible call. Fill the earth and subdue it. I don't see how humanity has been crowned with glory and honor and all things put under their feet. I, don't, I can't see it. Maybe you guys can see it, but I can't see it. And if that's what you're thinking, hey, I hear you, and I echo you, I don't see it. Turn back to Hebrews, because the author of Hebrews agrees with you. Hebrews 2, verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he's still likely speaking about humanity, okay? He's not jumping to Jesus just quite yet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Still speaking of humanity, but ultimately about Jesus. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Thank you. Like reading that verse, just like, let me, okay, all right. 
We're at least being kind of real and honest about the state of affairs here, okay? We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We still do not see everything put under humanity's feet. It might be true, but we can't see it. We can't see it. And so what is needed is is some sort of ability that allows us to live in light of God's truth even when we can't see it. There's a word for that. It's a churchy word. We use it a lot. Maybe just think in your head what that word could be, right? The ability uh, to be able to live in light of God's truth even when we can't see it. So pilots, when they are flying a plane, and I did not know Peyton was going to be here, so I really feel uh, like I should have picked a different illustration. But here we go. All right. Uh, so pilots, when they're flying a plane, they, uh, there, there are times when it's so cloudy or it's so foggy or it's so storming outside it, that they can't see out the windows. All right? Uh, they just can't see out of it. All right? So, so what do pilots do in that situation? What do they do? They look to their instruments. And so we've got a picture here of some instruments that uh, a pilot would look to when they can't see uh, outside of the plane. And so, you know, they've got a bunch of like knobs and uh, some whoozy-whatsies and uh, whatchamacallits. And I shouldn't have walked away from my notes and I didn't know Peyton was going to be here. Uh, An altitude meter. An altitude meter. That seems like a thing. Uh, They've got an airspeed indicator. Uh, They've got uh, a compass. They've got an artificial horizon. And so when they can't see outside of the plane, when they can't see where they are going, what they do is they trust the instruments. They look to the instruments. What is needed for the pilot is to have faith in the instruments. And what we'll learn later in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A pilot has to have a trust, has to have a faith that the instruments will lead them to where they are trying to go, even when they cannot see. And if there was ever a year where we can't see where we are going, it's been 2020. Some of you literally can't see. If you wear glasses with the masks, it's all, they're all fogged. You've been fogged up for the whole year. You really cannot see anything. But the rest of us, figuratively, like we cannot see where this all is going. And even before 2020, life oftentimes feels like we are flying through a dense fog. And so Hebrews 2 verse 8 is being very authentic and real to us, and it's saying something initially about humanity and ultimately about Jesus. In Hebrews 2 8, it's saying, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So what do we do when we can't see? Verse 9, always just go to the next verse if you have questions. Verse 9, but we see him. Okay, now let your minds go to Jesus. Just have at it. Let loose. We're going to Jesus now, all right? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor 
because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And verse 9, we're going we're gonna to hit it again next week because I am, I am starting to uh, wind things down, land the plane, so to speak, to stick with my illustration. But you see, in our sin, the call to fill the earth and subdue it, it is an impossible call. What we needed was a perfect human being to come and do what we failed to do. And so when we see the world around us, that things are not as they were meant to be, and when we're in the fog and we can't see where we're going, what do we do? But we look to Jesus. But we look to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who eternally existed, who created all the heavenly beings and the oceans and the stars, who humbled himself for a little while, entering into his creation, and he became the better Adam. Jesus was the perfect and ultimate human being. And although we fell short of what we were called to, this perfect and ultimate human being, no, he commanded the wind and the waves, and they obeyed. He told disease to stop, to just cut it out, and it did. He rebuked demons, and they listened. He beckoned bread and fish to multiply, and they did. He then suffered and was crucified at the hands of rebellious humans and rebellious heavenly beings so that as a man, he might make a perfect substitutionary sacrifice and appease the wrath of God that our sins rightly deserved. He didn't become an angel to save angels. He became a man to save mankind. And three days later, he rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples, ascended into heaven where he's now seated on the throne. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, now in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26, now he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. His, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so what is needed is to, for us to be able to live in light of God's truth, even when we can't see it. What we need is faith. Faith is the ability to follow Jesus even in the fog. Faith is the ability to follow Jesus even in the fog. Faith is the ability to live, light, to, to live life in light of the truth that Jesus is king, even when it doesn't always appear that he is. Faith is trusting that Christ was humanity's perfect representative who fulfilled all that we failed to do. Even when we can't see what's going on, even when we can't see what's around the next turn or what's ahead of us, we can look to Jesus. But we see Jesus, and that's enough. Church, that's enough. To sit and be humbled by his greatness and his grace, that will restore us through faith in him. Like, that's enough. And so when reality slaps you upside the head and shows you that humanity, that you are not what you were meant to be, may we look to the person and work of Jesus and may we be first be humbled and then may we be restored through faith in him to take our proper place in creation. 
Because church, and I'll close with this, not only are we to reflect God's character as we are his representative rulers here on this earth, but in the future there will be even more honor for those who are in Christ as we will then replace those heavenly beings that ruled with God over the nations. Hear these verses from Revelation 2, 26. The one who conquers, this is Jesus speaking, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. Paul even said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3, he says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Now, now I don't claim to have my mind around all that things in the future and what those few verses fully mean, but I share them with you to help you understand that this future, that there is a future honor and exaltation for those who are in Christ. But the only way to become truly and fully human, and the only way to take our proper place in creation, is to be humbled and restored through faith in Christ. That's the only way. He is now the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Will we have courage to therefore go? It is his greatness and grace that humbles us. Will we allow ourselves to be humbled this morning? And he has given us a purpose to fill the earth and subdue it. Are we answering this call by faith, following Jesus into the fog of this world? Church, we are not yet what we were meant to be, but he's not finished with us yet. And so may we always look to the greatness and the grace of Jesus to be humbled and restored. Let's pray.